Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Lord, we do surrender to you. We surrender our hearts afresh to you. We surrender our lives. We surrender every care and every worry, every hurt place, every fractured relationship, every wound. We we surrender it all to you. And Lord, we surrender our ears now to hear your word prepare us. Lord, we're not here just to check off a box. We're here to meet with you and to be encouraged by you and to be refreshed and healed and and revived. And Lord, we do pray for revival for our church, that you would strengthen us and energize us for you. And Lord, we pray for our city and for the churches in our city. This week, we we want to pray for Mount Moriah Community Church and Pastor Sherman Blandon and for their services today. We also pray for our Rocky Mount campus and for Pastor Jonathan and those services they're having today. Holy Spirit, be present. We pray that you'd move in our part of the state, Lord, to bring revival so that many people, every man, woman, and child, would get a chance to hear the gospel and respond. Lord, we surrender all to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in this series. We're in part six of this series entitled Renovate. Today we're talking about renovating our relationships. Our key verse for this series is found in Proverbs. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We're convinced that life is lived from the inside out, not outside in. That we believe the heart is the key and that God looks at the heart and the heart is like the control center, the driving, the driver's seat of our lives. It's where we make decisions. And so we want to have a heart that's right with God. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different aspects of our lives that affect our heart, that affect our will. We talked about our thought life, our feelings and emotions. We've talked about how our body affects, how, our, how we feel in our bodies affects. Now today we're going to talk about our relationships, how relationships with other people affect us spiritually. Dr. Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, writes this, spiritual formation is always profoundly social. Anyone who thinks of it as a merely private matter has misunderstood. Anyone who says it's just between me and God, or what, what I do is my own business, has misunderstood God as well as me. Strictly speaking, there's nothing just between me and God. For all that is between me and God also affects who I am, and that in turn modifies my relationship to everyone around me. My relationship to others always modifies me and deeply affects my relationship to God. Hence those relationships must be transformed if I am to be transformed. Did you catch the last part of what Dr. Willard says? If I want transformation in my life, there has to be a transformation in the way I relate to other people. It's connected to me. And so today we're going to talk about the renovating of our relationships. Our human relationships begin before we're even born. That first relationship is in our mother's womb. How she feels physically and emotionally affects the baby in the womb. We know this. We've learned this through the years. That's the first relationship. The first key relationship that every one of us has had 
has been between mother and child. And, and you must say this is the most profound relationship, but it's also perhaps uh, the most terrifyingly fragile relationship. Because whether or not we feel accepted or rejected begins at birth. Just think about how the doctor, as uh, soon as the baby is born, the doctor lays the newborn on the mother's uh, breast, and skin to skin, the child begins to bond to the mother. And from that moment forward, the baby begins to realize this is an important relationship, and they don't know the word love yet, but they're starting to experience it or not, depending on that. We either feel acceptance or rejection from that earliest relationship. And then a third person ideally appears, and it becomes like a, like a family trinity, if you will. That's where the father comes in. And the father, can I get a witness on this, dads? He kind of comes in kind of nervously because it seems like a place too holy to interact for a moment. This thing that mother and child have, the mom's already got a nine-month lead on the dad, and but he comes in, and then the baby feels a different kind of love and acceptance, ideally, from the father. And not only that, in this holy trio that God's designed, father and mother, they each give a different kind of love to the child. So the child begins to feel accepted and loved, and then the child observes that mom and dad love each other, and so then the child feels this other love, like, oh, I'm invited into this trio of love. They, they love me, but they also love each other, and this creates really the basic building block of a healthy, relational, spiritual formation in, in each of us, or not. Then, other relationships are added. Grandparents, siblings, cousins, uncles, aunts. And as this goes forward, the child grows up. We know this, right? Do you ever think about it, though? Because the truth is, many of us are walking wounded today. We came in the doors and we've been wounded since our earliest family experiences. We felt rejection and so we, we started coping in certain ways. We felt wounded and hurt, and so we learned to mask it and to bury it. It doesn't matter uh, because not one of us was born into a perfect family, not one. Even, even those families that are the most Christian still have something of the sin nature left over. And how do we sin relationally? You could probably put it in two categories. All, all of our relational sins could probably fall into two categories. First, the first category is to assault one another, to, to, to do harm. And the second category is to withdraw from one another, to assault or withdraw, fight or flight. That, those are the two categories. Just think about the Ten Commandments. Six of the ten are to correct our tendency for fight or flight, assault or withdraw. Honor your father and mother. That has to do with your relationship with your mom and dad. Don't dishonor them. Do not murder. That's certainly assault, isn't it? Don't murder. Jesus takes it up a notch and says, if you call your brother Raka, which means empty head, you've committed murder in your heart, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's an assault on the marriage. Thou shalt not lie. That's an assault. That's also kind of a withdrawal. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. All six of these have to do with our relational sins. 
our fallenness. The truth is because we're out of relationship with God, that broken relationship radiates out into all of our relationships, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to each other. We need, we must have healing. And only the Lord can do it. It begins with a right relationship with God, and then out of that, we, we, we realize that we are accepted, fully accepted by God through the Lord Jesus, and then out of that flows the ability to accept others and to have real and meaningful relationships. Without that, we continue to sin against each other, and we, we tend to continually drive each other apart. We just can't help ourselves. Hurt people hurt people. We need a healing. We're relationally broken, and we need Jesus to move. Do you want some of that? The Bible has a word for it. It's called love. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how to know the love of God. In the Apostle John's first letter, he wrote to encourage believers to let the love of God renovate all of their relationships. To let, just let the love of God flow in them and to them and through them to others. And I believe today that we can let that same love of God renovate our hearts and renovate our relationships. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see four ways that God wants to do that. Let's dig in. This is uh, the first letter from the Apostle John, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And, if we, uh, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. Three, I started to say three. We got four of them today. Four ways 
on how we can let the love of God renovate our relationships. Here's the first. Receive the gift of God's love for spiritual rebirth. Receive the gift of God's love for spiritual rebirth. We must be born again. Who, who, what is the source of true love? Verse 7 says, love is from God. Where does love come from? It comes from God. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? The word is in our reading today 27 times. 27 times we see, if we could read it in the Greek, the Greek word agape. Agape is the Greek word for God's kind of love. Unconditional love, sacrificial love. It's not like the world's love. The best the world can achieve, apart from God, the Greek's called phileo. It's where we get the, the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is conditional love. I love you because you're my wife. I love you because you're my child. I love you because of. It's a good love. It's a great love. Phileo love's wonderful. The world has this. It's based on condition. But agape love is unconditional love. It radiates from the condition within God to us and through us to others. It's unconditional. It's not I love you because of. It's I love you in spite of. That's what John's talking about, agape love. And he says this love, this agape love, comes from God. You can't get it at the store. You can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. You must be born again by the Spirit and receive it, poured out into your heart, transforming your heart so that now you have access to this, this indomitable eternal heartbeat of God flowing to you and through you to others. Agape love. John opens with the word beloved. He uses this word twice in our reading today. He's an old man now. He's the last living of the twelve. All the others have died martyrs' deaths. This is close to the turn of the first century. He's the last living apostle. Everybody he talks to, he calls them beloved, dear children. He's an old grandpa now. The word beloved, we said agape is in there 27 times. Well, if we count the two beloveds, which is agape tas in Greek, dearly loved, then we got 29 times in this one reading. This, this passage is about love, God's kind of love. He says, love one another. Let's look at these couple of verses. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. It's not... It's not the love that makes you born again. It's the faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only. And so you believe in him and then you have this. But now the love is like the evidence that you're born again. And not only are you born again, but you know God. The Greek word here has the idea of experiential knowledge. Uh, intimate knowledge. Not just uh, intellectual book knowledge. It's not that you know about God. You know God. You're, you now are in a relationship with God. I was talking to someone in the, the lobby after the first service, and he gave his testimony about how a friend of his who had been living a pretty wild life and, and got put in prison, and then when he got out of prison, he calls uh, him and starts talking to him, and he said, what's different about you? It's like, it's like what's this? Because his friend says this to him. He goes, he goes, I love the Lord. I have the love of the Lord. And, and, and he goes, what does that mean? And so it was that love. And he says, that love caused me to come to the Lord. Because that's the proof 
that you've been born again and that you're in right relationship with God because if you're in right relationship with God and born again, then this love, this agape, unconditional, sacrificial love becomes yours. And it causes you to love one another with this same love. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John just really puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. He makes it very accessible. Are you struggling in loving others? Go back and check. Make sure you're born again. Make sure you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can't manufacture. You can't fake. You try to fake it, you can come sit in the church every Sunday and try to put that smile on your face, but the people closest to to you know you don't walk in love. You, You walk in some other way some other former nature but not in love this cannot be manufactured because if you know God and you've been born again of God the chief attribute here that John highlights for God is God is love three little words you can't reverse them because it's not true if you reverse them love is God that's not true because God's more than that God is light John says in the same letter God is holy we can we can say a lot of those things but chief attribute Love. God is unconditional love. If you don't love, go back and check. Are you born again? Have you received Him? It's the chief proof. Titus chapter 3 says, He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of His own compassion and mercy by the cleansing of the new birth, which is spiritual transformation and regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. He saved us because of His love. Did you see that big word? Where was that big word? Verse 8, I think. Is that right? Anyone who does not, God is love. No, wait, it's verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent. Made manifest. What's manifest? That means seen, revealed. Oh, the world had never seen agape love really. They had seen glimpses of it from God, but they really saw it when the Son of God appeared. You want to know what love looks like? Look at Jesus. That's that's God's love in the flesh. Manifest means revealed, uncovered, seen. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's how the world finally saw true agape love is through Jesus. And then verse 10 says, In this is love, this is true love, not that we loved God, that, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, big word, for our sins. Some translations say atoning sacrifice. What does that mean? God loved us so much that his love was sacrificial. But God is also holy. And because he's holy, his holy reaction to sin is called judgment. And so to continue being holy so that his holiness and his love are held equally, his his love caused him to deal with his holiness on our behalf. And so he sends his son Jesus as a propitiation, which means a satisfaction to his holiness. So the idea of propitiation has the idea of satisfying God's holiness and judgment upon sin. So Jesus died in our place. 
He took my death so I could receive his life. He took my separation so I could receive his sonship. He took my sinfulness so, he could, so I could receive his righteousness. That's what propitiation means. He satisfied God's holiness. He was a sacrifice. This is the picture of God's sacrificial love. This is why Jesus told the man Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who was so afraid of what others thought that he came to see Jesus at night. He said, I can tell you're a great teacher, and, and, and what should I do to, to, to receive the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says this in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. He goes on to give him that great verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How do you, how do you get born again? How do you get a new heart that has this agape love for God and for self and for others? As the great commandment says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It puts all, all of the loves in the right places that all of those loves are broken by our sin, but it puts it all right when we're born again. How do you get that? You believe on Jesus as the payment for your sin, making you right with God. Are you born again? This is the first step. The first step to healing from relational brokenness and experiencing transformation is to be born again by the love of God. Well, here's number two. Abide in God's love, abandoning former defensiveness. Remember what we talked about earlier? Our, our sin pattern is, is a defensiveness. And so we assault or we withdraw. That's what we do. And we do this often. Some, some people say, well, I didn't say anything mean to her. No, you didn't say anything at all. You withdrew. That's just the other sin nature pattern. Both of those are with, withdrawals from the relationship. If you say something mean or, or, or use uh, bad language or call someone a name, that's an assault on their person. But if you just go quiet and pout, that's a withdrawal. Both of these are damaging to relationship, and they're, they're according to the old sin nature. They are not according to agape love, which is the new nature. And so we're to break out of this fight-or-flight response and move into a new response, which might be termed reconcile and abide. Reconcile and abide. The word abide, you'll notice in verses 11 through 16, which is where we are now in our text, the word abides there six times. So love's there 27, 29 times, counting beloved, but abides here six times. And now there's something about abiding and loving that go together. So we've been born again, so now we need to live according to the new, the new birth. The word abide means to live in, to dwell in, to stay in, to stay connected, right? The word abide, he uses it six times in four verses here. It means to stay in Christ, stay in relationship with Christ, and stay in relationship with other believers. Now sometimes it's hard, because some of you are pretty prickly, it's hard to get close to you without getting hurt a little bit. And the reason, as I said earlier, primarily the reason that hurt people hurt people is because they're, they're wounding others out of their own woundedness. They've been rejected in the past, and they often are prickly because they're afraid they'll be rejected by you. 
or they withdraw when it gets too serious. Like if it really starts talking about heart issues, they go quiet. It's, it's the sin pattern. We, we don't trust others because we've been hurt in the past. And we, we think they might have the same motives we do because we don't really trust ourselves. We don't really love ourselves. We have this brokenness that goes perhaps all the way back to our childhood. Who can help us? We must be born again. And then second, being born again, we must abide live in, dwell in, stay connected to the Lord. Let's, let's look at what it says here. Verse 11, Beloved, there he is, he's saying it again. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Ought to is about owing. Paul says in Romans, Owe no man nothing except your love. That's the one, un, that's the one unpayable debt that you'll never pay off. Because of what he did for us on the cross, we ought to love one another. That's what he says. You owe it. You have a debt to love one another. No one has ever seen God. John likes to talk about this, that God is spiritual. God the Father, no one's ever seen him. Over in chapter 1 of his gospel, he says, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten he has made him known. You want to see the love of God? Look at Jesus. There it is. He, he's on the cross. He says, I love you this much. He stretches out his hands and he says, I love you this much. That's how much I love you. You want to see it. That's, that's where it's at. No one's ever seen. But then he says something surprising in verse 12. If we love one another, no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. So if you want to see God's love, you can look at Jesus. But you know who else you can look at? You can look at God's people. When they are walking in the love of Jesus, people will be like, what is that? That's not, that, that's not normal to forgive somebody like that after they've committed adultery on you. That's not normal to forgive somebody like that after they've badmouthed you all over town. That's not normal to reconcile to that person after they stole something from you. And, and, and you, you, what do you do? What is that? It's the love of the Lord in me. How do I get some of that? Where does it, how do I get that? You must be born again. And then if you're born again, you can, you can live in it and walk in it and draw on it from Him. It's not from me. It's from Him. And abiding in Him, the chief attribute that people will see, and then they will see God in us because we love one another. We love one another with agape love, unconditional, sacrificial love. No one's ever seen God, but if they see us, they'll see love. This love is being perfected in us. That's the Greek word teleos. It's where we get the word telescope, which means you can see something distant, uh, see something far away brought near in a sense. But this idea here has the idea of of that end goal, which is to be perfectly like Jesus, perfectly like God, so that, that our love is like His. It's a process called sanctification. We're being made like that. So we are growing into maturity. So this idea of perfection uh, has the idea of this love being brought to maturity so it looks like the love of Christ, like that. 
And so as it grows and as we become those, like a reconciling force in the world that we no longer fight and flee, instead we pursue to reconcile and we forgive and we lean in and we don't withdraw, we, we chase after. That's what agape love does. By this, verse 13, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us a spirit. That Holy Spirit living. Have you noticed how all three members of the Trinity are in this passage, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The Spirit radiates this agape love within us, verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father, there's the Father, has sent His Son to, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And He and God? Have you confessed that He's the Son of God? That He's the Savior of the world? Are you born again? Are you abiding in Jesus? How do you know if you're abiding in Jesus today? Wherever hatred continues to cling to your heart, you're not abiding. Holy Spirit, right now, I'm asking you, Lord, because we're not playing church, this is real. Online, people watching online, next room, people next door in our gathering place. Look at, look at me. Holy Spirit, show us the face of the person right now that your feelings towards them borders on hatred. I don't hate anybody. Do you love, love them? No, I can't say I love them. Do you, well, you're, okay, you're coming close. There's love, which is the command, there's not love, which is not the command. And then there's hatred, which is the opposite of the command. Holy Spirit, show somebody, show everybody in this room, if there's anybody that you're not feeling love towards, that's the place you're not abiding. Well, Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they're doing to me right now. I know, I know, I know what you're doing to you right now. You're not abiding. You're not abiding. And therefore, God's love's not flowing to you as He wants it to. God's agape love. This is the answer, my friend. And it will show itself in our relationships. Verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And then he repeats that statement that he said earlier in verse 8. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. How? By his Spirit. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Live in that. And wherever you're not, take a, take a time out for wherever you're at in the day and say, God, why, why am I not loving this person? Why do I feel tempted to assault them or withdraw from them and break off of that relationship with this person? What, why do I not feel love for this individual? Because I... Now I don't feel like you're abiding in me. 
That relationship that's out of order in my life is creating a deficit in my spiritual life. And I don't want anything between me and you, Father. I don't want anything between me and you, Father. James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fight, fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. This, this, this withdraw assault, this fight or flee, it's from the old nature. But when love is our heartbeat, those things are put away. Adam and Eve, what did they do when they sinned? They withdrew and hid from God. What did Cain do whenever his sacrifice was not acceptable and his brother Abel's was? He assaulted his brother. Since our parents, Adam and Eve, were brought into this world, that sin nature that began in them is ours, and we are relationally broken apart from Christ. Only love from Christ can change us. Here's number three. Here's the third way. Let God's perfect love cast out all fear. Let God's perfect love cast out all fear. We're at verses 17 and 18 now. You'll notice in verse uh, 18 it says, Perfect love casts out fear. The word fear is here four times. Interestingly enough, it's the Greek word phobos. Does that sound familiar? Phobos. It's where we get the word phobia. Fear. And notice how fear and love relate to one another. When we let God's perfect, whole, complete love be the formation of our spirit, of our heart, it kicks fear out the door. Because fear, in, in context here, is fearful of broken relationship. Specifically, he's talking about God at first here because he says... Uh, that by this is love perfected, verse 17, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So because we have the love of God in us now, we're no longer afraid of his judgment when, when he gets on the judgment seat because we know Jesus is the propitiation for us. He took our judgment. And Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just as Noah and his family went into the ark and, and the judgment of God fell upon the ark, but all of those within were found safe. We are in Christ. And because we have this perfected love, this whole love that is ours in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of a broken relationship with God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We are fully accepted from God, and because we have this full acceptance, we don't have to look for it from others. And now we can bring a wholeness, a perfected love to every relationship, not looking for what we can get out of others, not saying, you complete me <laughs> in our relationships, but saying, no, I'm complete in Jesus, and I bring... All of that with me to every relationship. I'm not looking to get. I've received all I need and I constantly abide and I continually receive. Therefore, I can give. Because God's agape love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. And so it casts out fear. Fear of what? Fear of being rejected. It's not, there's nothing like being in a relationship with someone where you know that you don't have to watch every word you say 
because the relationship's always at risk. Like, ooh, I better, I better withdraw right here because if I say this, that always ticks her off and then she flies mad and assaults me, so I withdraw so she doesn't assault. And all at the basis of this is fear. It's a fear-based relation, fear-based relationship. And if you have fear, like in your marriage, you have fear, then you don't really have truth and love. Your marriage is ruled by fear. If you have fear in any relationship, you're like, Gary, doesn't the Bible said that, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God? It does. It has the, more the sense here, the fear of God, the fear of his displeasure, the, the, the reverence for his person, uh, the respect for who he is. But for those of us that have been born again and are children of God, we have perfect love now that casts out the kind of fear from his judgment. We don't have to fear his judgment. Now, I still fear his displeasure. But I don't fear that he'll break off with me. I don't fear that he won't be my father anymore because he's promised that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So the fear that remains then is just this holy respect and reverence. But the fear that says, I'm afraid that you'll reject me, so I'm not going to tell you the whole truth, even though this part of the truth you need to hear because if I really loved you, if I really loved you, I would tell you about this so it could help you grow, but I can't because if I do, I'm afraid you'll assault or withdraw, and so we walk in fear. But perfect love casts out fear because perfect love doesn't worry about judgment doesn't worry about punishment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you're still going around afraid that you're not going to be accepted, if you're still low in self-esteem and you talk, I don't know if God really loves me, and I don't, if you're still there, then you haven't been perfected in love. You're not you're not abiding in love, and you're not going to let the wholeness of God's love perfect you in your relationship with Him and your relationship with each other. It causes us to cast off all pretense and to love one another with genuine, authentic love because we've cast off fear. Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. It's a long list about how to love with this new transformed heart don't just pretend to love others, Romans chapter 12. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Hey, that's a real test if you have agape love, is if you can love the unlovable and if you can love the one who assaults you, who persecutes you. You love them back. You pray like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who, are, who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. That's what love looks like. Some years ago, our associate pastor, about 20 years ago, associate pastor at the time, uh, after 9-1-1, felt called to move he and his family to Iraq and to be missionaries there. And so they moved to Baghdad. 
and they opened up a, a training center to teach English to young Iraqi students so that they could pass the in entrance exam to American colleges to help get a better life. And it's called the TEFL program to teach uh, the, the ability to pass these entrance exams. And so he was teaching this class, and he said there was a man in the back of the room that sat at the back of the room like this all the time. He was just angry. He came in angry, left angry, and he needed the class, and he needed to pass English, but he didn't want to have to learn it from this, this Christian American. And so, so, so he said that, Every day he was thinking, how can I reach this man? I tried everything. And every time I would try to, to reach him, because he was seeing it as an opportunity not just to teach English, but to teach him about Jesus and to share the gospel. And he said, the guy, you could just feel his fists go up. You could just feel him bristling. And, and he goes, I realized I was praying to, to God about it, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, you're going to have to get close to him, and he's going to try to run. And, and if you get too close, he's probably going to punch you a couple of times verbally, but you're don't react. Don't punch back. He's going to say some mean things to you about being an American and about being a Christian. He's going to say some things and just kind of take them, take those shots, but just get in. And if you can get in and just put the love of God around him, if you could just hug him with the gospel, if you could just put your arms around him, he won't be able to get in a good shot because you'll be hugging him too hard. And he said, I did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just started pursuing this guy. And, and literally, he would back up all around the room until his back would get against the wall and he couldn't back up any farther. And I would get right up close to him. And he goes, a day finally come where he literally was cursing me in Arabic and telling me everything. And then finally he leans in and puts his head on my shoulder and starts weeping. And we hugged. And he said, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this Isa Almasi, Jesus the Messiah. That's what love does. Instead of assaulting back when it's assaulted, it tries to reconcile. Instead of running away when another runs, it pursues. That's agape love at work. Perfect love, this perfected love, is no longer tempted to attack or withdraw because there's no fear of rejection. Here's the final way. Let God's redeeming love flow to you and through you to others. Let God's redeeming love flow to you and through you to others. We're at verses 19 through 21. He says in 19, we love because He first loved us. We love because He died for us and He paid our sins. That's why we have this agape love, because He redeemed us. Therefore, we have this redeeming love within us now so that we have the power to bless others with agape love. So this love has, has, has transformed our hearts, but now it's, it's designed in such a way so that it flows to us and through us to others. And I like using this, this picture that many of us spend much of our lives shaking our fist at God, going, why God, why'd you let this happen to me? Why, did this, why was this taken from me? And why did, and, and, instead of finally one day going, I surrender all, and just open that hand and say, God, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, I receive your forgiveness. I believe. I want to know you. I want to be right with you. And then that love begins to flow into us. and It begins to transform us so that we're born again. And that agape love, we begin to, to know that God really accepts us. and sat, He's satisfied because of Jesus. So we begin to experience self-love and self-forgiveness so we no longer feel shame. And then we sense that love empowering us to open this hand, continuing to abide with God in this hand. And so His love flows to us and through us to others so that we become conduits of His love. And so people see God 
manifest in this world because, not because we know it all, not because we can answer all their questions, because we love them with a love they've never seen before. With agape love. We love like that because He first loved us. Verse 20 says, If you go around saying you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. Because you've seen your brother and you've never seen God. How can you claim to, to love the one you haven't seen when you can't even love the one you do see? That's what He says in verse 20. Wherever you have hate, you're not abiding. You can't fix everything. Not everyone will reconcile with you. But you can be reconciled in your heart that you've done all you can towards them. And you can continue to love them even when they continue to hurt you. Well, Gary, doesn't that make me a doormat? No. That makes you like Jesus. He said, when you do that, when you love your enemies, it's like heaping hot coals on their head. It's like, it fries their brain. Like, you're supposed to hate me back. Why do you keep loving me? It just melts them down. <laughs> that's, the, that's the power of love that God wants to be manifest in us. He wants love to be a verb. Look at 1 John chapter 3. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Love is a verb. It flows. It takes action. It redeems. It blesses. It gives. This is the commandment that Jesus gave His disciples. John chapter 13, He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love one another, it's the proof in the pudding that you belong to Jesus. Will you allow the redeeming love of God to flow to you and through you to others? And, and in, do, in so doing, experience the spiritual transformation of your own life. Allow me to close with one more reading about love. There's so much about this in the Bible, but this is perhaps the greatest description of what love looks like found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes this. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's love. Church, I pray. I pray for a church. I pray for a people. We as followers of Jesus, we will spend eternity together. Let's begin to let the love of Christ abide in us in such a way that it transforms all of our relationships. May it be so. May it be so. Would you receive that today? Let the love of God be mine. So that it's the mark of my life 
Not how much I own, not the house, not the job, not my family, but that people look at me and they go, he, He's love. That's the most loving person. May that be you. May that be all of us. May, may we receive that with open arms from Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray first of all for the person that's here that has never known the love of God because they've never opened their heart to Him. Is that you, my friend? Right in your seat today, I invite you to do something about it. He's, he's listening to you right now. Would you talk to Him in prayer? You can do it right in, your, right in your seat. You don't have to move a muscle. You just have to move your heart towards Him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been living my life apart from You. But today I, re I recognize that I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me, Lord Jesus. I believe you were raised from the grave and that you live today. I believe that. Come and live in me. I want to be born again. I want to know you and be in right relationship with you. Would you forgive me of my sins and make me a child of God? I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. I surrender all. If you're praying that prayer believing, He'll save you and He'll make you His own. And you'll begin to have this agape love that we've been talking about pouring through you. Others are here today and you, you have Jesus as your Savior. But there's areas that, that you've not allowed His love to pervade a relationship. I don't know who it's with. Is it, is it with a child or a parent, a brother or a sister, a cousin, a co-worker? a spouse, a boss, someone you used to call friend, right now, would you say, Lord, help me to love that person. Show me how to love them as you love. I want to abide in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.